0: What I want to do with this kind of a youthy thing tonight is to um, talk about, um, since it's a time of new beginning, now this doesn't mean it's just for youth. You old folks are not going to check out on over here, I hope. I want to talk about the most precious possession you have, and that is the time that God has given you. And I want to just talk about some principles about, uh, uh, about time management, really, about how to uh, you know, take your time and use it for God's glory, really, and for the building and edification of your life. I'm in the 818th Psalm. Now, this Psalm is the, is the entire thing we're going to, you know, it's the context and the, and the message, although I'm just going to use for the sake of time, get, no pun intended, for the sake of time, I'm going to read verses 22 through 24. And I'd like for you to take this and and as you make these notes and and actually apply this, what you've gotten tonight and put down on a sheet of paper, apply to tomorrow. Just one day. Don't knock it till you try it. And, And just when you get up in the morning, take this sheet of paper and apply what we talk about with regard to the most precious possession you have. And that is your time. The stone which the builders, verse 22, rejected has become the chief cornerstone. This is the Lord's doing. It is marvelous in our eyes. This is the day which the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. One of the most frequently asked questions is, what time is it? I've noticed you guys been checking that out on your own. Yeah, what time is it? I know very few people that do not have a watch. And we are literally chained to time. I've heard this, I don't I can't I can't verify it, but I heard that you can get the time in New York City by dialing N E R V O U S. Now you guys that are hard on spelling, that's nervous. What time is it with you? Some of you, for, for some of you, it's yesterday. And most of us, many of us, especially of us older folks, live in the past. And we're all, most of the victories that we, have, we, have, we can claim are victories in yesterdays. And we live in the past. And we talk about what happened yesterday. And you ask some of us to give a testimony And we testify to something that happened in the past. No fresh encounters, no fresh experiences. It's always yesterday. We live in past victories. And some of us live in past guilt or past defeat. We are bound by yesterdays. For some of us, it's always tomorrow. Sociologists tell us that many people, the majority of people, are just marking time, waiting for something to happen. It's always tomorrow. Tomorrow, when I get my bills paid, I'm going to start tithing. When I get my children raised, I'm going to take some responsibility in the church. When I get retired, I'm going to be involved in church activities. It's always tomorrow. I was driving down a street in Fort Worth, Texas, when I lived in Fort Worth and I pulled up on Saturday afternoon now, get this, in Cowtown. I pulled up behind a, a man, had a big cowboy hat on, and he was driving a Barretts Cadillac. I mean luxury Cadillac. And he was sitting at the red light in downtown Fort Worth going to, I guess, to, to Billy Bob's. Y'all know where Billy Bob's, you know, is. He had this big cowboy hat, and I noticed that on his bumper sticker was this, Uh, on his bumper was this bumper sticker that said, I'd rather be flying. Now what could be better than have a cowboy hat headed for Billy Bob's and a Brit's Cadillac Saturday afternoon in Fort Worth? Well this guy, he'd rather be flying. It's always something else, isn't it? I mean, we're always looking for something else. We'll wait for tomorrow. But what time is it for you? Every single morning you give up, get up, God gives you something very precious. He gives you time. And time is essential to life. As a matter of fact, my life and your life is measured in concepts of time. And I need to understand that I cannot commit my life to God until I commit my time to Him. And I have to understand that I can never glorify God until I glorify God with my time. And I cannot please God, ever please Him, until I learn to please Him with my time. So there's no better way to start a new beginning than to talk about what to do with time. Three or four things, maybe five or six, depending on the time. This is the day the Lord has made. Number one, this is, a provid- this is a provided day. Now where did this day come from? You're getting up in the morning and you've got this worksheet and you're looking at this. Where did this day come from? Let me tell you where this day came from. It came from God. And a long time before you were ever created, God created this day for you and provided it for you and gives it to you. This is a God-created, God-provided day. I've read and I remember the story when I was a kid, we'd have an evangelist come and preach revival. Every one of them would get around sometime during the week and preaching that text from Daniel about the handwriting on the wall. I mean, scary stuff. Like, here's Belshazzar and they're celebrating in this banquet, desecrating the vessels of the temple. And all of a sudden, this hand begins to appear on the wall and write. And it writes many, many tekel eupharson, translated. Thou art weighed in the balances and found wanting. I mean, and, 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 and the evangelists would talk about the handwriting on the wall. What most evangelists, very, very few of them ever really pointed out was the little phrase that precedes that. Thou art weighed in the balances and are found wanting. And the little phrase that precedes it is this. The God in whose hand thy breath is, thou hast not glorified. One day it just dawned on me that God holds our breath in His hand and He doles it out to us a breath at a time. That's a sobering thought. So that this day you have and I have is a a day that God has provided, has it in His hand and doles it out to us in 24-hour increments. You get up in the morning and you realize that God gave you this day as a kind of an investment, a kind of an investment. It cannot be borrowed time, cannot be borrowed, it cannot be hoarded, it can only be traded, it's like currency. And it can be traded foolishly or it can be traded wisely. And so when I get up in the morning, I determine what am I going to do with this currency called time? What am I, what am I going to trade it for? What am I going to? to give up in this time, to receive the best kind of investment that I can receive. And I realize that when I lie down at night, that this day that I've been given, whether I have invested it for good or evil, is gone forever. It will never come back. It can never be ours again. It's like standing on the edge of a river and watching a swift current go by and there are these little bubbles on the top of the water. They're within reach for a while, then they're out of reach, then they're out of sight, and then they're gone forever to the ocean, and you'll never recover it again. So that you have today, and you'll never have today again. It'll be gone forever. It is a provided day. How am I going to take this day and what am I going to do with it that I can receive the best return on my investment of time? That means that I've got to determine what kind of choices I'm going to make today, and will these choices be a choice that will be beneficial to my life, both tomorrow and in the future. It is a provided day. Second, this is a present day. There is no other day except today. So if you want to live successfully, You must learn to live in the todays of life. For only those who live today really live. And if you do what is right in today, the yesterdays will be pleasant and the future will be bright because God has a calendar that has one day on it and that day is today. And in eternity, God's clock ticks like this, now, 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 because God is the God of the nows. He's the God of today. Now what does that do about guilt? If there is only one day with God, that means all my yesterdays are gone and the guilt is gone. So I don't have to live bound by what I've done in the past. Bertha Smith said, God takes my guilt and he buries it in the deepest sea and then he erects a sign that says, no fishing. Well, what she's saying is this, is that when we, come, when we come to today, all the yesterdays are gone. I remember reading, don't you, the story of the woman taken in adultery and after they went through that little dialogue, Jesus says to her, what man condemns you? And she says, no man, Lord. And he says, neither do I condemn you, go and sin no more. Now what he's saying is this, I'm not going to hold you in guilt for the mistakes you made yesterday. What I want you to do is to get on with the business of living in the present, forgetting and and leaving the past. Uh, every day I, or every week at least I work with people or I counsel people and share with people who have a great, you know, have a great deal of um, uh, guilt about yesterday's mistakes they've made. And frankly there are some people who feel like they are disqualified to, for life because of an irrevocable choice they made. I'm here to declare to you that even though we have to live with the consequences of the past to some degree, God does not condemn you for yesterday. What God is interested in about you is that you live today. Somebody wrote Ann Landers, a woman wrote Ann Landers and she said, I'm 36 years old and I've never been to college And Ann Landers' answer was, how old would you be if you'd been to college? Well, good good question. What matters is now. Number three, this is a precious day. I think those of us who um, are um, at least past middle age, I used to use the term I'm middle age, and a friend of mine who gets my tapes, called me one day, he said, how long are you planning on living? I said, well, you know, at least until I'm 80. He said, well, you're way past middle age if you're going to live. I, I think that, that those of us as, you know, who, um, who are past middle age uh, have come to, to, to um, recognize a little bit more how precious this day is, how precious every day is. I... Uh, when I say these words now, there are people here tonight who tonight can uh, identify in a, in a more graphic and poignant way than than I can how precious life is. I haven't sat down and counted the uh, the funerals I've preached this summer, but I can tell you it's been one of the, one of the most um, heartbreaking and uh, emotionally devastating times of my life. And I have come in this summer to, um, to, to stand before families after families after families who buried loved ones from the aged to the youth. And I want you to know tonight that there are people here in this room who could stand here and testify with more depth of meaning than I can that every day you have to live is a precious day it's precious now there's several reasons why it is precious one is is because we have all the time to do everything that is important to us you have all the time to do everything that's important to you. You ever notice that? I mean, you're gonna make time for those things that are really important to you. Um, Monday night football starts up in a couple of weeks. I guarantee you, you're gonna have time, whether you get your studies done or not, you'll have time for Monday night football. As a matter of fact, How we use our time is just a measure of our priorities because what we really deem important are the things we get done. We have enough time to do the things important to us. Number two, we practice daily what we really believe and everything else is just religious talk. Let me tell you what I mean. If you really believe in the power of prayer, and the importance of prayer, if you really believe that, you'll find time to pray. And if you don't find time to pray, this just religious talk you're doing doesn't mean a thing. And if you really believe that people without Christ are, are, are separated from God for all eternity, And that everybody ought to bear witness to the saving work of Jesus Christ. If you really believe that, you're going to find time to share the gospel with somebody. You're going to find time to witness, visit. If you don't find time to do that or make time to do that, that's just religious talk. And if you say, I love my family, my children are important to me, my marriage relationship is is important to me, If you really mean that, if you really believe that, you're going to have time to develop your relationship with your spouse and you're going to have time to spend with your family. And if you don't, that's just talk. It doesn't mean a thing. For what we practice daily is what we really believe and everything else is just religious jargon. Right? Number three, we're still under, this is a precious day in case you're wondering. In case you cared. There is enough time to do all that God wants you to do. Now let me, let me, let me tell you something. You don't have enough time probably to do all you want to do. All you want to do. Man, a life, how many, you know, never enough time to do that. But God is reasonable. He's more reasonable with you than others are. Let me tell you something. You don't have time to do everything that everybody else wants you to do. One of the hardest lessons I had to learn as a minister was that if I worked off of everybody else's agenda, I'd be be working 24 hours a day. It wouldn't be enough time to do that you will not be able to do what everybody else wants you to do. But I can guarantee you, you do have enough time to do what God wants you to do. Now here's the key, now watch this. This is important, folks. What we have to decide, if you have only one day, if God deals out your life a day at a time, we have to decide every day, at the beginning of the day, in my opinion, what does God want me to do today? Okay? What does God want me to do today? And here's a second part of that. It's equally as important. How does God want me to do it? Because sometimes when we, when we understand what God wants us to do, then we do it the way we think it should be done. What does God want me to do? And how does God want me to do it? Now there you say, well, how do you determine what God wants you to do? Well, you determine what God wants you to do If you develop a relationship with Him in prayer and you determine what God wants you to do when you read God's Word and you discover God's Word, His guidance through His Word, but as as Henry Blackaby says, you discover what God wants you to do by discovering what God is about in the world. And so as you become sensitive to where God is at work in the world, then you know that that's a divine appointment for you. So I get up in the morning and I find out, well, what does God want me to do today? And that's what I have to do. All right, number four. Before I can be a good steward of time, I must have a purpose and a goal in my life. And my purpose will determine my priorities. I need to say that again. My purpose determines my priorities. Now, we can divide life into several segments, and it's pretty easy to do as a student, I think, but it's also important to do as, a, as, a, as families and as adults. What is, what is my goal? Um, what is the goal of my life for my family? Can I sit down and, and make a, 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 a statement, a, a purpose, a goal, a, a, an objective for my family? What is my goal for my education, what I want to do? I'm going get out of school? Okay, that's, that's all right. Yeah. What, 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 is, what is my objective? What is the goal I have for my work, my business, or whatever it is, you know, that I'm, my vocation? And when I'm able to sit down and write my goals and purposes and objectives, then that will help me to set my priorities because if my objective or goal for my family is is that I want to develop a relationship with my children that is such a relationship that we can dialogue and talk and they can, they can share with me and trust me and they can tell me their secrets. That means I've got, to have at least, I've got to find some place here where I'm going to designate some time to spend with my kids. You see what I'm saying? This is yes and this is no. There has to be a goal and objective. Number five, we do the things that are important to us so we must learn to distinguish between essentials and electives. Sometimes it's a choice between, not between bad and good, sometimes it's a choice between good and better. So we determine what is essential and what is elective. Now, when I'm able to, 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 to focus on some goal, purpose, or objective, then the electives fit in with regard to the essentials. And then there's number six. Be sure and get this down. There are three types of people. They're feelers. See see which type you fit in. They're feelers. They're the people who operate on the basis of feeling. They're figurers. There's There's some figures too, but these are figurers. These people figure out everything. They're analytical and they put a pencil to everything. And then there are faithers, and these folks operate on the basis of God's will, and they operate in the realm of their own will. So they operate in the realm of God's will and in the realm of their will. Now watch the difference here. Feelers, the problem with feelers is that moods and feelings change. Now there's some of you t- who, and I'm looking at tonight, come to church if you feel like it, you know. And that's kind of the way it is in, in the dorm. I, uh, one of my buddies now lives over in Medill, I he, 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 he was a student at Southeastern several years ago, and he's a hilarious guy. And so you set up in the balcony, one day he missed church and I saw him and I was giving him a hard time about it. He said, well, I worship Sunday. He said, I worshiped at St. Mattress. <laughs> we, we have a St. Matthews. But he said, I worshiped at St. Mattress. Mattress. <laughs> now, threw me there for a minute. But what he was saying was, that, you know, I took a little, I slept in. That's what he was saying. Now, there's some of us who do things on the basis of feeling. The problem with, um. The use of time on the basis of feelings that there is this. There are some times when you don't feel like it, right? The problem with those who operate on the basis of figuring things out don't always have all the figures. Sometimes there are things about situations that we don't know. But faithers are the people who do what God says to do. They say, I'm going to do what God wants me to do. God wants me to do it, so that's what I'll do. Now, I want you to write this down, and if you want to go out of here with a cliche, here's your good one. Living in the will means that you choose to do what you know you should do, whether you feel like it or not, or whether you understand it or not. Now I want to get down where, like in Knox County, we say like they hole right up to, next to the cotton. If you and I decide that we're going to operate on the basis of my will and God's will, I'm going to do what I know is right, whether I feel like it or not, whether I understand it or not. Because there are a lot of things that I don't understand that make a bit of sense to me, but I know what is right. And there are a lot of times when doing what is right is not what I feel like doing. Okay, we got provided day and providential day and precious day. Provided day, present day, and precious day. Coming to number four. This is a providential day. Now I know the time is gone and I'm aware of it and so are you, but we're going to Since I got it in my notes, I want to do two more, watch this. This is a providential day. You know what that means? Listen to me. It means that nothing can happen to you today that God does not permit. You know what is the greatest need most of us will have in life? Is to come to an understanding of what God is like. As a matter of fact, A.W. Tozer says that the greatest discovery you will ever make is what God is like. Now Jesus said if a a child asks his father for, for bread, would he give him a stone? Um, I, I'm sure that you've gone in and said, uh, Dad, I'm hungry, you got any snacks? And he said, well here, take this rot and go chew on it a while. If, if, a, if, a, if a child asked his father for a fish, would he give him a snake? Then he said, how much more, if you, if you being evil know how to give your children good gifts, How much more the Heavenly Father? Let me tell you what he's saying. He's saying this. There is nothing that's ever going to happen to you in the todays of your life that this loving Father at least does not permit and he's not going to let anything happen to you that's going to destroy. So I'm going to get up in the morning and I'm going to believe this. I'm going to believe that whatever comes today in this day of my life is going to come as the result of the at least permitted will, permissive will of God, a God who loves me and knows what's best for me. And sometimes, and we were talking about this this morning in my class in Habakkuk, there's sometimes when we just cannot reconcile what God's doing. This unexplained indifference, this, this, this unexplained way he solves things, this way he does things. I mean, we, we, we see the way God is at work in the world and we think that he, he's, he, he's, he's lost his mind. And we discover later that, that many things that happen to us that we feel like are the worst things God uses to accomplish more than he could ever accomplish any other way. And so whatever happens to me tomorrow, I understand that it is... No, maybe not the, the perfect will of God, but the permissive will of God. And there is a difference. I cannot, never will I ever say that these things that happen to us, God causes to happen. There, there are some things that God is not directly responsible for. I mean, there are some things that happen to us that we cannot say God caused to happen. And anybody who does, here's a little child I gets run over in the street we say, well, you know, it's just God's will, baloney. That's the Greek word for that, baloney. (laughs) It's it's crazy to say something like that. But what we have to say if we believe that God is in control of the universe is that He permitted it to happen and that He will take that tragedy and work something good out of it. This is a providential day. One last thought. Here's the big one. This is a passing day. You walk out here, you go out here to Highland Cemetery and you see these tombstones, these gravestones. And they'll have a name. Every Every one of them is the same. They'll have a name and they'll have on one side they'll have a date and then there'll be a little dash and they'll have another date. And this date is the date of birth. And this date is the date of death. And there's just a little dash between them. And that represents the length of your life. The Bible says it's like a runner at full gallop. It's like a vapor that's here and vanishes. It's like green grass sprouting in the morning and perishing in the evening. It's just like a dash and it's gone. When I was a child, I laughed and wept and time crept. When as a youth, I dreamed and talked and time walked. When I became a full grown man, time ran. And later as I grew older, as older I grew, time flew. Soon I shall find while traveling on that time is gone. Young people, you have all eternity to celebrate victories. But you have only a short hour before sunset to win them. And that's not a happy thought. But the fact is, it is a fact. And to evade a fact is to refuse to accept reality. And the refusal to face reality causes us to live in a dream world. If you don't believe that, you pick up a newspaper tomorrow. You, you do this for one month and you turn to the obituary column, I'm sure you often look there you turn to the obituary column and you notice all the people who died younger than you and if you don't believe that you just check and see how many people die young young There is an old fable, parable, by an old parable teller about a king who grew real sad and he was depressed. And so he commissioned his men to go out into the kingdom and find a a person who could make him laugh. And so they went out into the country, out into the kingdom. And they looked for someone to make him laugh. And they brought in this jester, and they said, King, he's the world's greatest fool. I mean, this is a fool. He'll make you laugh. Couldn't make him laugh. And so the search went out again, and it went on and on, and finally brought in this guy, this jester, this Hilarious clown, this fool. And he went into the presence of the king, and the king said, Make me laugh, and I'll crown you the world's greatest fool. And the jester said, Before I make you laugh, let me ask you a question Are you prepared? to die and the king said not today and the jester said give me the crown I'll put it on your head you sir are the world's greatest fool this is a passing day you will never ever, ever have it again. And you'll set foot on the campus of Southeastern tomorrow and you'll spend 24 hours and it's gone for good. And you'll get up and you'll go to high school and middle school tomorrow and you'll goof off if if you're like I was and you'll get out of school and head off to college And you'll never, ever, listen to me, you'll never, ever have this opportunity again. And if you squander it, you're a fool. Let's pray together. Our Father, I pray that this precious moment that you give us, we will take tonight and it. What a decision that will have an eternal difference, make an eternal difference, for I pray in Jesus' name. I'm going to ask, to consider tonight an invitation, an opportunity for you to make a commitment of your life to Christ. It may mean to give your heart to Him and to be saved. It may mean to join a fellowship, a church, to bring your gifts and plant them in this fellowship or to rededicate yourself to Christ, whatever that means, you can't glorify God until you give him your time. While we stand to sing, we invite you to come.